0: Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Hack to Start, a podcast that focuses on amazing people who have an interesting story or perspective to share, and their insights on how they got to the level of success
1: they have today. Thanks for joining Tyler and I for another episode. This is episode 114, and today we'll be chatting with Bree Connolly, an Associate Product Manager at Google. Bree studied computer science at the University of Texas. While in school, she interned with IBM, Apple, and Google. Bree was also part of a class project powered by IBM's Watson called Celebrity AI. The project was quickly validated and turned into a startup that was accepted into the Capital Factory Accelerator program in Austin. Bree then joined Google as an associate product manager when she got the opportunity to work on Gboard, Google's iOS keyboard. Bree joins us to share her story, how she helped launch Celebrity AI, what it was like being
0: at the Capital Factory Accelerator in Austin, how she joined Google, what it was like being a product manager
1: there, what it was like launching a search-driven keyboard, and much more. So once again, we'd like to welcome you to the show. Feel free to tweet us at hacktostart, drop us an email at hey@hacktostart.com at or share your feedback right on iTunes with a review, good or bad, we'd love to hear from you. So let's get started.
0: Hey, Brie. Thanks so much for being on the show today.
2: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We're super excited to have you on to talk about uh, you know the Gboard and your story as an entrepreneur and, and project manager. And uh, I love Gboard, by the way. It's actually replaced all my other keyboards on my iPhone.
2: Awesome. Thanks. And it's only going to get better. So just yeah. wait.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm super excited to see what comes next. I mean, you guys have already done so much over the past couple updates that it, I'm just like, wow, this is just getting better. Before we dive into that, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? like? where are you from and and what did you study?
2: So I grew up in Portland, Oregon, and then I went to the University of Texas at Austin where I studied computer science.
0: That's unreal. And so how did your passion for tech and entrepreneurship develop? Was that before college or, or while you were studying?
2: I would say I never really categorized myself as having a love for entrepreneurship specifically. I'd always loved technology and I remember being like 12 years old, making and selling MySpace layouts to my friends and just really loving social media when it came out. So I think that's how I really got drawn into tech. Um, And then when I got my first smartphone, downloading every app that I could fit on my phone. So naturally studying computer science kind of made sense because I saw all these great products and websites that I loved and I wanted to go make my own. I never was someone who thought of like owning a company in high school or when I was even in college. Um, Until towards the end, I just always saw cool products and wanted to be someone that got to make them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so while you were in school, you actually also had a few internships with some pretty cool companies like IBM, Apple and Google. So can you tell us a little bit more about like these experiences for you at that time as a student and some of the major lessons that might have come out of that?
2: Google, Apple and IBM, um, they're all large companies, but they're all very different especially from an internship perspective. Uh, My first one at IBM, I was really just learning what it was like to actually code in the workplace. I was a software engineer at all three of them. And then at Apple, it was crazy just being able to work with some of the smartest people I'd ever met. And then I went to Google where I just found that I was working with the people that I love, um, but also the culture was a really good fit for myself. So I always felt like every summer I learned more in the three months I was working than I did from the nine months I was in school.
1: That's amazing. That's typically the case. I remember doing my first internship and just the wealth of knowledge that you can get by actually applying the stuff that you learn in class is uh, such a learning curve. But uh, after that, you launched your first startup in 2014 called Celebri. Can you tell us a little bit more about this and what really motivated you to start this product?
2: So... I was a part of this class at my school where IBM Watson essentially came to University of Texas and nine other schools. And they said, here's Watson, build whatever you want with it. But it needs to be a viable business and it has to utilize um, cognitive computing. So I thought that was the coolest thing ever. And When coming up with the idea for what my team wanted to build with these parameters, we really wanted to make sure that we were actually able to help someone in our community because we didn't think we would win this competition. Oh, yeah. So, another wrench it was a competition amongst all the schools. Winner gets $100,000 of funding and support from the IBM Watson ecosystem. So, that was kind of a long shot for us. We were competing against a bunch of other really good schools. So, we were like, we want to get something out of this even if we don't win. So we started talking to different people in the community about like what the city of Austin needed. And we stumbled across the two-on-one hotline, which is what you call if you have questions about social services. So if you need help with healthcare or you need to find a food pantry, you call this number and they help direct you to the social services that you need. But in Austin and in a lot of other cities, these centers are pretty underfunded. And sometimes you have to wait on the call or you can only call between certain hours. If you speak a different language, you might have to wait even longer because they might not have an operator who can help you. So we thought we could use natural language processing to answer some of these questions for people and point them towards the services they need based on a bunch of different information about them without them having to call. And that way, the call centers could focus on the really complicated problems and help the people who needed a real human, and we could offload some of the quicker calls. So we worked together as a team and with the United Way 211 call center in Austin to scope that out and actually make it a reality. And then we also realized that the same strategies we were applying and um, basically how we're using Watson and how we were using natural language processing, we could apply that to other areas as well. So we ended up coming up with a couple of different target areas that we could do in private industry as well. And we pitched that in the IBM competition and um, we ended up winning, which was awesome. So from there, it became less of a class project and more of a full-time job. So I became a part-time student and worked on that for about nine months until I joined Google. But Yeah, it was crazy. You know, we were just a class project and we were seven people who did not really know each other. And then we came out of it as a real corporation. So there were a bunch of different bumps in the road there. I'm so happy that IBM had this opportunity for us. But there's a certain number of obstacles that come forming a company with co-founders who were not friends or even acquaintances before getting funded. So, you know, we worked through that and it took us a few months to really get a team of people who are really committed to taking this to the next level. And after we did that, things just moved super quickly. So we joined Capital Factory and from there, it just we got more contract. Now I think there's like 40 people working there.
1: That's amazing. So, so as you mentioned, you guys got accepted into the Capital Factory in Austin. Can you tell us a little bit more about the process that you used to apply for the program and what it was like to go through an accelerator?
2: So I was part of the Longhorn Startup class at UT Austin. Basically, it's this class that's taught by a few people from Capital Factory, um, and they bring in guest entrepreneurs to speak to you. So I, that's where I found out about Capital Factory and the whole application process. So after that we applied online with an application. And um, then we made it to the interview round where you basically give your pitch, a couple of partners and the founders of Capital Factory grill you um, very similar to other accelerator processes. But we, we got, I remember getting the acceptance email like the same day that we applied. And that was an incredible feeling. The mentorship process was great. They basically have this mega calendar where you can schedule office hours with really anyone you want. So anyone is really accessible to you. We had a lot of problems, I think, from the beginning, with just how it was conceived, really finding our vision and like a good fit for us because we had some talent and we had some cool stuff working. But that question of like, how are we going to apply this? And where's our like our true vision? Where does that lie? That was really hard for us. So, we were able to work with mentors to come up with a really solid strategy that kind of helped the vision of the product moving forward. And in terms of hiring people, that was the other thing that Capital Factory helped with. We were able to do interviews for people at Capital Factory. They have a career fair like twice a year where people come and bring their resumes, which is Crazy because when you're a really new company of basically just new grads, it's kind of hard to make those connections. And that was something the Accelerator was able to offer for us. I actually ended up leaving before we hired anyone, though. I mean, the process, it takes a while. And I decided to move on to Google before I ever saw it through. But they have done really well since then. um, And they have a pretty stacked team.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, that's super cool. And so as, as you mentioned, you know, you, you joined Google as an associate product manager. So can you tell us a little bit more about how you created the opportunity to work at Google and, and what was that process like going through the interviews and picking a team that you would end up joining?
2: I was a software engineering intern um, the summer before my senior year. So I had actually been working there for three months and then I remember working with some really great product managers on my team, and I was always kind of like, How did you guys get this job? This is great. And they told me about the APM program, which is the Associate Product Manager program. And I interviewed before my senior year. So before any of this startup stuff happened, I actually already had a job offer to be a product manager at Google. But the interview process is pretty thorough there's some phone interviews, then you have a bunch of on site interviews. Um, a writing assignment, and then you meet with the program's director and also VP of Android, Brian Rakowski. And after that lengthy process is over, you find out if you've made it.
0: Wow, that's a pretty crazy uh, process for sure. So one of the first projects you had a chance to, you know, work on was the Gboard. So for those who might not know, can you tell us a bit more about what the Gboard is?
2: Yeah, Gboard is an iOS third-party keyboard that focuses on, number one, being a great fast, reliable keyboard. And then number two, making communication more fun and easy with things like search. So you can share your search results from Google. You can also search emojis and you can search and send GIFs. Since the launch, we've added some other cool things like themes. So you can change what your keyboard looks like. And we've also added something called conversation to query. So basically, this is all on device. It's pretty cool. Based on what you type, we can suggest queries for you to search in Google. So if I was saying want to grab drinks later tonight, we would suggest bars near you.
0: Yeah, super cool. And uh, like I said earlier, it's definitely the the, it's beaten out all other keyboards for me. And it's the one that I use all the time because I just love the swipe and just everything that it does is awesome. So how did the idea for like Gboard come about and how did you end up joining that team and helping, you know, make it a reality?
2: One of the cool things about Gboard is that there were a lot of people thinking about it from different parts of Google, but we didn't know that each other was thinking about it. It's kind of a fundamental problem if you've ever been typing in a messaging app and then you want to go search for something on Google and then you have to copy the link at the top or like copy the restaurant name or something, go back to the messaging space and send it to your friends. So um, a couple of different groups of people were like, man, we should make this easier. Eventually, we all synced up together and thus the team for Gboard was born. I mean, I would love to say that it was my idea and I came to Google and immediately thought of it and they gave me my own team, but it didn't really work that way. I was on search and I needed a project and um, I met with the director whose team did Gboard and he just said, hey, are you interested in this? Um, And I was super excited about it and immediately took a position on that team
0: pretty cool uh, I, I can just imagine hanging out in the cafeteria and then all of a sudden you know sitting at the table that's like dreaming up the gboard project and and then getting together to make that happen so maybe a little bit more along those lines can you tell us what some of the biggest challenges you had to overcome and maybe some of the lessons learned through developing and and, and marketing and launching the the app
2: yeah yeah so number one is google is a very obviously it's very established where you think of google as the blue links and maybe some knowledge cards And you vertically scroll, and that works very well. So when we wanted to take all of that and put it inside like a third of your phone, that became pretty challenging from a design perspective. So one of the things that we did was testing early um, with users and doing it very often. In the beginning, we had, you know, there were like 10 different ways Gboard could have gone, but we would test with different Googlers all the time. We would do external testing, just to make sure that we were on the right track. Because when you take something that's so familiar and you put it in a space that's so different, I think it can be really easy to be blinded by your own personal opinions. So we wanted to make sure that we were actually doing what's best for something that's so sacred to the company. Um, And we landed on the design that we have now.
1: That's awesome. Are, are you able to share with us like how long the actual process took to come up with like the very early concepts like you have mentioned and then actually go through, implement it and market it?
2: Yeah, we started working on Gboard in August and eh, probably more like September of 2015 and we were ready to go and launch by May.
0: That's cool. And what about getting the buy-in kind of internally? What was that kind of process like? Like you mentioned that, you know, there were some different people thinking about it, but how does, you know, Google go and and create a keyboard for iOS?
2: Yeah, so it's a very collaborative process between um, the search org and the creative lab, which is based in New York. They tend to do more creative and concept work, but we made sure to pull them in and do product work with us the whole through the whole cycle. So that's not I mean, that it's not extremely rare, but it doesn't normally happen. So we were really fortunate that immediately, I mean, people were really excited about this. We didn't have a whole lot of issues that one might expect with taking something as established as search and putting it in a keyboard because everybody was excited. And I think that it helped that we had a couple of different teams that wanted to work on it.
1: So how do you approach being a product manager and shipping brand new product experiences? And are there any insights to share with other product managers or entrepreneurs?
2: So kind of going back on something that I mentioned earlier, My biggest advice is test on real users or as close as you can get to real users as often and as quickly as you can for a couple of reasons. One, it will help you focus on making the right product versus spending a lot of time building something and just hoping that it goes well. And I think some people think that Google does that. And maybe in some cases we do, but not on the teams that I've worked with. We prototyped all the time. We would do user testing with whether it's like just dialogue and we just have it like as note cards in front of people or whether it's a real app. Just making sure you test all the time helps you keep, I think, the focus in the right place. But also kind of like a side benefit to that is that when there are people that you might disagree with, or people you want to get buy-in for, whether it's your marketing team, or your director, or your engineers, if you have hard data that says, this is what, you know, you want to press a point, if you're like, this is X amount of people prefer this way over this way, at Google, data gets you really, really far. So making sure that we're monitoring what features are doing the best and what features are doing the worst just keeps us focus in the right place. And then I can also use that to kind of get buy-in from different teams as needed.
1: That's awesome. So if you were a startup looking to launch a new product, would you follow those same steps as you would building a new product within Google?
2: Absolutely. I think I would even more. I mean, I, I know that there's always added pressure to launch and get something to market. But I think if you look at your investors and just people in your community the same way that like I look at like my directors or my marketing managers that I want to get buy-in from. Having data, no matter how small you might think it is, I think that makes for more convincing arguments and it makes for better products.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. So what's your day-to-day role like as an APM at Google?
2: It changes all the time, which is why I took this job. So depending on what projects I'm working on, or depending on what stage of the product life cycle they're in, some days I feel more like, you know, I feel like what a product manager, what I thought a product manager would feel like before I joined, you know, like writing PRDs and vision decks, scoping out projects. And then other days I feel like a QA tester and I'm testing the product all day on every different type of device. Other days it's spent all with marketing and I feel like a marketing manager. So There's no clear day to day, but I think that's what makes it a fun job for me.
1: Yeah, for sure. Being able to kind of jump around and try new things and kind of with different teams um, must be a really cool experience.
2: Yeah. And this is, you know, this is my first job right out of school. And part of the reason why I took this job was because I didn't know what I wanted to be. And I didn't know that I wanted to be a CEO right out of school. Um, But I also didn't know that I wanted to be an engineer. So taking something like APM has allowed me to try out, you know, be a UX designer for a few weeks or try out marketing and also I mean try out like traditional PME stuff and it's helped me figure out what I'm interested in and the type of product manager that I want to be so I'm very happy that I made this decision.
1: Yeah, that's a really cool way to, way to put it. On another note, are there any technologies or spaces you find super interesting right now or are thinking about?
2: I am really interested in assistive spaces. So like Alexa and now Google Home. There was a speaker I recently saw too that someone else launched that you could talk to and it would play you the right music for every mood. So I have Alexa, I have the Echo in my house. And I mean, one, it's fun to use for myself, but it's interesting seeing all of my different roommates, my five roommates interact with Alexa and what they expect from it. Um, it's like a real, it's like real user testing in my home. So that's kind of consuming a lot of my time recently.
1: That's really cool. So so would you be able to elaborate a little bit further on Alexa and how you've been actually using it within your household?
2: So there's quite a few things that Alexa does that are pretty cool. My favorite example of Alexa is, you know, like this is just me speaking as Bree, not as a Googler. Um. I like the the use case of Alexa in my home during like before we go out to bars or something so you can use Alexa to order you a pizza while you're having beers at your house then you can say play me music for drinking with my friends and you might get some mix on Spotify then you can play games you can play card games with Alexa and then at the end of the night when you want to go to a bar you can order an Uber so it kind of encompasses it's like an like a little assistant in your house. So I found it to be pretty useful. I thought it would be kind of gimmicky and silly, but I've been won over to the assistant space.
1: That's awesome. I, I've seen I've seen the tool out there in the past. and I just haven't kind of jumped on the bandwagon to grab it. But it's it's cool that you've kind of share your experience with us. It seems like a very, very cool product. So do you have any like recommendations of like great content that you've come across lately, either a book, video or a blog post?
2: Yeah, this has absolutely nothing to do with what we've just talked about. But I've been on a lot of planes lately and listening to a lot of podcasts. And I listen to radios, Radio Labs podcast called Playing God. And it's based on a book called Five Days in Memorial by Sherry Fink. And it's all about triaging. So triaging at a hospital during Hurricane Katrina, um, also triage in Haiti after the earthquake. And at the end of the podcast, they ask. There's a town hall. I think it's in Maryland, and um, they're asking people like, if you had to be running triage and deciding who gets treatment, who gets helicopter lifts out, how would you do it? Um, all these people, these just normal people, are talking about different frameworks for how to decide who gets to live and who doesn't. It's a pretty like thought provoking podcast, and I recommend listening to it.
0: Yeah, sounds pretty crazy. I'm definitely going to have to check that out and just just, just listen to it and, and, and see what comes out of it. So, you know, on a, on a different note, maybe just to kind of wrap up, do you have any last thoughts or personal mottos that you live by and you think other people should know about?
2: So I don't have like a neatly packaged personal motto, but when I was in college, which wasn't that long ago, I think this is kind of fitting because, you know, people are starting to interview. It's like almost interview season. Just like, don't worry, like, don't worry so much about what you think you should do after college and worry more about what you want to do. And it sounds really simple, but I was really so consumed about getting like a prestigious job or really finding my, I don't know, what everybody else thought I should do after school. And, you know, I left the company that I had started to do something that I was pretty sure I wanted to do. And it was a good move. So I just recommend this interview season focusing more on yourself. And if you need time off or you want to take a crazy or different job, go for that instead of doing what you think other people think you should do.
0: Awesome. Yeah, no, that's a great way to end the episode. Bree, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today and, and share your story with us. Thanks. That's another episode of Hack to Start. Thanks for listening, and we hope to
1: have you join us again soon. Remember to check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and on the web at hacktostart.com. We honestly couldn't do it without your awesome support, so please leave us a review on iTunes. Until next week, and we hope you enjoy the show.